This Cap Times podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colaguard. Learn more at exactsciences.com. So if you're looking for an expert on Act 10, Jason Stein wrote the book on it. Really, he did, with Milwaukee Journal Sentinel reporter Patrick Marley. You can look it up. It's called More Than They Bargained For. Google it. Buy a copy. Go ahead, buy 10. It makes a great Christmas gift. Anyway, Jason Stein was also a Journal Sentinel reporter at the time the monumental legislation was passed, and he witnessed these fights from the front row. When we work together in the Capitol press room, I always really enjoyed hearing these stories, and now you can too. I'm Jesse Opoyan, and this is Wedge Issues, the Cap Times podcast about government and politics in Wisconsin. This is the second episode of our Act 10 anniversary series, hosted by Cap Times politics reporter Brianna Riley and education reporter Scott Gerard. I'll let them take it over with Jason from here. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here, Jason. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. So could you start by sort of setting the scene for us leading up to Act 10? What happened in the previous couple of years that made all of this, the legislation, the protests possible? Sure. And I'll preface this by saying I'll say these things as a a former journalist who was present on the scene for these events. I also, I have a role now at a nonpartisan research group. And so I'm I'm not speaking with that hat on. I'm speaking with, uh, you know, my my former journalist hat on. So, you know, Act Ten was a a series series of events. It was certainly, I think, a harbinger of a lot of uh, polarized and controversial things that that we would see. Um, in Wisconsin and in the rest of the country that I would say run up into this very day an hour. So, you know, in a lot of ways, it was a, it presaged things that were to come. And you obviously, you know, you're speaking as a former journalist now, but you did serve as one of the Capitol reporters for the Journal Sentinel during these protests. What sticks out to you from your time in and around the building covering all of this back in 2011 and the lead up to it, if you want to get into that too? Sure. And I should maybe just explain what happened during Act 10. So, you know, in 2010, uh, Scott Walker and Republicans took over all of state government, which had previously the legislature and governor's mansion had been controlled by Democrats. They took office in January 2011 and immediately began to pass a whole series of, of, you know, conservative legislation. On about February 11th, 2011, Scott Walker introduced what eventually became Wisconsin Act 10. And that proposal um, sought to set the stage for balancing the state's budget shortfall that it had at the time. It was about $3 billion without raising taxes, which is what he had promised to do as a candidate. It, to do that, it 
eliminated most collective bargaining for state and local workers, including, you know, school teachers and, and bureaucrats and so forth. Um, it did not apply to police and firefighters generally, but to pretty much all other state and local employees in Wisconsin. And it required them to make um, contributions to their pension and healthcare payments that were pretty substantial. And the state then used that to later on set up decreases in state aid payments to schools and local governments that they in turn sort of made up for those losses by having their employees also make additional you know, contributions to their pension and healthcare benefits that lowered their, their take-home pay. So, you know, in a nutshell, that was what Act 10 did. And, you know, the, the elimination of collective bargaining was very controversial and it sparked weeks of protests where, you know, in which tens of thousands of people showed up uh, to the Capitol grounds and at points even jammed themselves into the Capitol building. Um, and, you know, it also sparked a whole series of court fights and a whole series of recall elections. So it was, you know, when, when people talk about Act 10, it's just one legislation that was introduced on February 11th and then the next month passed into law. But they're really talking about a whole series of events that were you know, the legislation, the court fight, the protests, the recall elections, and that stretched, you know, really, if, if you include the court fights, they stretched on for years after the governor introduced the proposal. I think when you're thinking about the, the protests specifically, um, do you remember, or do, do any moments, I guess, um, from working in the Capitol at that time stick out to you, especially, you know, still now, 10 years later? I mean, so many moments stick out to me. I mean, just I mean, I can be there in my mind 10 years later very easily to a whole series of things. I mean, I guess I would almost say, you know, if you could even just narrow it down um, or otherwise I could just give a couple of examples. Please offer some examples. <laughs> well, you know, I remember when the assembly, when the bill was passed on the assembly floor, you know, I remember, you know, papers and a drink being thrown on the assembly side. You know, the assembly debated the bill for more than 60 hours, which is probably the longest any piece of legislation has been debated continuously. I mean, I was on the floor at times for about for more than 20 hours at a time for that. I remember, you know, the Republicans passing the bill and filing off the floor and 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 Democrats, you know, a, a few Democrats screaming um, very, very close to the Republicans. And I remember um, being in Scott Walker's office to interview him and through several sit sets of doors and very, very thick walls, hearing the voices of tens of thousands of people shouting to kill the bill that, that he wanted to pass and, and talking with him about that. Um, I remember a time at which, you know, after the courts had ordered that the building be clear, I remember police officers, um, you know, putting on gloves and uh, preparing to take the protesters out of the building. And I remember that, you know, deep unease I felt at that moment. 
And I remember uh, the tremendous relief I felt uh, after Chief Pubs, uh, the Capitol Police Chief at the time, successfully negotiated with those protesters, uh, you know, and they left without incident. So, I mean, there's a number of things that I recall. That's, that's a lot. And I think, as you said, there's probably even more. Uh, was there a point throughout this or is there a specific moment that sticks out to you where you realize sort of this is something different than I've ever seen before or covered before? Yeah. I, I mean, I think there was a, a series of realizations that just gradually ramped up. I mean, I can remember, you know, one of the things that happened right after Scott Walker was elected was, you know, he had promised to kill a federally funded uh, passenger rail line uh, extending service from uh, Milwaukee to Madison. That project was put on hold shortly after he got elected. Um, I remember writing stories about that and seeing that thousands of people were posting comments on the story on our website. That, that was at a time when newspapers had comments at the bottom of stories. And I remember there being like 4,000 comments on one of those stories and thinking, whoa, that's, that's crazy that there would be thousands of comments that people wanted to make. And then I remember uh, during, you know, after the governor introduced the bill, I mean, we knew right away that this was going to be an enormous fight. But, you know, kind of little did we know. So I, I recall when the Joint Finance Committee held a hearing and then voted on the bill, you know, in the middle of the night. And by, by that point, the Capitol had really filled up with, started to fill up with protesters, huge, you know, no, thousands of people on a scale that I had never previously seen for a demonstration at the Capitol. And, you know, then the, the Joint Finance Committee voted and normally you would have um, the Capitol shut down at that point, but, you know, essentially the, the demonstrators occupied the Capitol and wouldn't leave. And the police made the decision rather than try and forcibly clear them to just leave them there. And so then that started sort of a continuous presence of protesters within the Capitol. You know, that would have been on or about, I don't know, February 14th or 15th. And so that, that there you're starting to, you know, there you're starting to experience things like by the 16th where you just want to get up from your desk and go to the bathroom and it takes like 20 minutes to walk the very short distance to get there because there's all the crowds. And so, you know, you just have this gradually dawning realization that like something really unusual is happening here. Yeah. And, and throughout all of that, there were just so many interesting points that, I, you know, I think about still to this day and, and wonder how you think about them too, as someone who was there covering them. Um, you know, one of those is while it's been done elsewhere, it, I believe the Act 10 fight was the first one that resulted in Wisconsin lawmakers in one caucus physically leaving the state to avoid a vote. How surprising was that action for you at the time? And looking back on that, we've seen a lot of politics and fighting ever since, right? But, and in the years before, but how big of a move was that politically now that we have some, some more years of context behind it? Couple, I guess a couple things I could say about that. I mean, one, it was, it was obviously surprising. Um, and, you know, that was certainly the day where I think things truly went national, if you will. You know, at one point I remember seeing that 
the top two stories on the New York Times website. One was that protesters in Egypt were on the streets in what became known as the Arab Spring and ultimately, you know, deposed, uh, I, I think you would say, the dictator of Egypt. So that was their number one big story. And then the second big story, it was on the New York Times website, was what was happening outside my office, you know, in the or desk in the Capitol press room. So, I mean, I remember being very struck by that at the time. Um, you know, when the Democrats went to Illinois, it was surprising on the one hand, of course, that that would happen. On the other hand, you know, you knew that we were in a sort of uncharted territory and that the Democrats considered this a, you know, sort of a fundamental thing that they would, you know, try and stop at almost all costs. Um, I guess what I would say is he ushered in an era where both the governor's proposal and the Democrats' response to it to go to Illinois were kind of seen, each seen by the other side as a illegitimate action. And I think, again, that ushered in an age of politics that continues to this day where, you know, the actions of other, of, of elected officials are seen not just as unwelcome or negative, but in some ways illegitimate without, you know, foundation, if you will. And, you know, again, on the one hand, the Democrats going to Illinois was a very huge boost to their supporters and it rallied, you know, labor supporters. At the same time, that was also the moment when conservatives became very animated by the fight as well, because they saw, you know, Democrats saw the legislation as illegitimate and Republicans in turn saw the move of going to Illinois to block the vote as, as an illegitimate act. And, and from there on out, I think that sort of locked in this sort of fight to the death mentality that prevailed during that, that whole fight. This podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences. Join the Madison-based team working to lead earlier cancer detection. Visit exactsciences.com to view the company's hundreds of open jobs. That's a really interesting observation, and I think it sort of leads well into the next question. You know, a decade ago when those positions were entrenched, social media was not as much of a tool for journalists and politicos. But at the same time, some protesters who used it, uh, Jenny Dye on Twitter is, is one example, really made a name for themselves at the time. But how do you think Act 10 coverage and information sharing might have played out differently if everyone had been using Twitter a decade ago like we use it now? You know, it certainly would have been different um, in today's world of, you know, sort of instant social media information and to some degree disinformation. I mean, I think, you know, that was what that was our first big sort of Twitter and social media fight, you know, in Wisconsin politics in some ways. I think Twitter at that point served more, less to, you know, and social media served less to spread disinformation as to, to spread 
very up to the minute, not necessarily accurate, but at least up to the minute updates on a situation that was changing very rapidly. You know, so I guess that was still sort of during a a phase of seeing social media in a somewhat more optimistic lens. It's a, you know, but that was, that was where sort of social media came into its own. It's helpful to remember that Scott Walker was sort of our first statewide official that really used Twitter. I mean, I can remember the former governor saying, you know, in places where I was present that he would post things to Twitter, but then he would forget that he had done them. So, you know, he would post on Twitter that he had gone to some restaurant or something. And then someone would ask him, he, he, he would say how someone would ask him about, oh, what do you think of that restaurant? And then he would be taken aback. Like, how, oh, how does this person know I went to this restaurant? And then he would remember, oh yeah, I tweeted about it. That's how they know about it. So, you, you know what I'm saying? I mean, like that, that's, that, that's the kind of world that we were living in, in, you know, 2010, 2011. And it's so funny because now I can't imagine doing my job without Twitter, you know, and right, right. just such a different and, world. And that's where it started to become, that's where I think that mindset sort of took hold in Wisconsin politics where it's like, oh, you know, if you're part of this ongoing debate, you, you know, for better or worse, you have to be on Twitter. That's really interesting. It's, it's fun to go back and look at the tweets from then, you know, right. and just the hashtags, just really incredible stuff. <laughs> 140 characters. Like a totally yes, that world. was still back when it was, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, it was much more, it was much more like truly trying to fit things into 140 characters as opposed to like having an image with a whole press release in it or something. But, you know, in writing the book though, those social media and all the videos that were posted and things like that, you know, we, we were able to sort of reconstruct the events in a way that, you know, you see that, you know, in the, in the, protests at the U.S. Capitol and the storming of the U.S. Capitol, that social media allows you to deconstruct events like that in a way that, you know, you simply couldn't do if you're talking about, you know, the civil rights protesters of the 1960s. I mean, you, all, all you had to know what Medgar Evers was thinking at a given moment was, you know, what he tells you afterwards, what people who, you know, what he said afterward, what people who talked to him said afterward, you don't have this sort of real time bulletin board of things that everyone was posting and thinking. Yeah, that's so interesting, because I think as a journalist, if I'm covering a live event, uh, I'll sometimes use it as a way as like a notebook, basically, right, where you're just, yeah, where you're recording things in real time. And it's so useful to use it and, and refer back to it when you're writing. But then you're also able to refer to other people's angles if they were at different parts of the crowd or, you know, had a different yeah. perspective on the same things. It's really interesting. Yeah. And th that was true there. There were a lot of times at any given moment, the assembly might be debating something on the floor. The governor might be holding a press conference downstairs on the first floor. The first floor of the Capitol is sort of the second floor of any other building just for insiders. Um, and then, you know, the AFSCME the head of national head of AFSCME might be speaking at a rally outside and all those things would be happening simultaneously. And so nobody could sort of take it all in at once, even the events that were happening within like 80 yards of one another, because it was, there, you know, it was just this chaotic uh, series of events.
Yeah, and I bet even just getting between floors of the Capitol took so long with all the people crowding the building and all that. So, well, it did on the 17th for sure. And then, you know, later on, you know, the Capitol Police regained sort of uh, control over the building. And, you know, for a period of time, the Capitol was locked down. You know, then there was, you know, people were let back in, but there were, there were metal detectors and other things. So, but yeah, in the early, I mean, the early days, like in that first week, so the governor introduced Act 10 on a Friday. And then, you know, that next week, especially, you know, the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of that next week. Yes, those were those were chaotic days. And, you know, it was fortunate that there was not, say, something like a fire alarm pulled and everyone having to, like, rush to the exits or something like that, because there was such a crush of people in the building, at least on a day or two there. So you've um, since left the Journal Sentinel for obviously an independent policy analysis role that you've discussed at the at the top of this podcast. Does Act 10 show up at all in your work with Wisconsin Policy Forum today in any way? And if so, where are you seeing its impacts most? I mean, you see them everywhere. Again, when we talk about Act 10, I think in a lot of ways we're talking about a whole constellation of legislation. But if you think about it like that, you know, we put out a report this week that the state's tax burden which is just taxes as a share of personal income has dropped from being in the you know, top 10 in the 90s and 2000s to now being below the national average and about 23rd in the country. You know, Act 10 was, and the sort of um, fiscal austerity that came along with that was a part of, of you know, changing you know, the nature of the state's taxes. You see, we've seen that on a per student basis, funding for both K-12 education and Higher education in Wisconsin has fallen from being above the national average to being below the national average. You know, that, that's certainly, you know, part of the changes that Act 10 ushered in. Union membership is not something we study directly, but union membership rates, which were already falling previous to Act 10, have continued to fall, you know, in part due to that legislation. And then uh, what's known as right to work legislation that was passed later on in 2015, I believe. Um, the state pension, you know, has, has certainly, the state pension system was always well-funded, but Act 10 has made it easier for state and local governments to maintain funding levels. And so, you know, we did an analysis at one point that found between 2011 and 2017, that reduced, Act 10 changes reduced state and local government costs and also before tax wages for public employees by about $5 billion between 2011 and 2017. You know, that's related to Act 10. There's been a greater, I would say, uh, turnover of state and local workers, not just in Wisconsin, but I think in other, other states as well that relate to, again, I think some of the more uh, restricted funding for schools and local governments and you know, workers. So that, that would just be spending on benefits for public employees, which was once very high in Wisconsin is now, you know, has now fallen considerably because of those changes. So, you know, I mean, that would just be just a handful of the changes that you've, you've seen over the past decade. Yeah. And, and I, I feel like, especially in, in covering schools for me personally, Act 10 is 
pretty regularly thrown out as a political reference point, uh, mm-hmm. you know, by school board members, union members, teachers, a lot of people bring it up. As we've gotten further away from the legislation and protests themselves, what meaning has the law and all of the actions surrounding its introduction and passage taken on today in the state, would you say? Well, I mean, you know, again, there has just been a, a shift in the state. I mean, you know, during the era of fighting Bob LaFall at the progressive era, there was a shift in Wisconsin, you know, in that direction. You know, in the 1970s, there was a Democrats, you know, in sort of the post-Watergate era enacted a number of changes in Wisconsin, you know, campaign finance laws, various things. You know, they, they, the UW system was created, a um, number of things. Uh, and now in, you know, I would say in the last decade has been another one of those eras of substantial change and policy, policy shift in Wisconsin. Like, and, and, you know, setting aside whether, it, whether you believe it's positive or negative, this has certainly been one of the most significant eras in the past 10 years in terms of changing the direction of the state. Thank you. Uh, I think that's a pretty strong place to end. Do you have anything else to add about, uh, you know, your memories of covering it or how, how it feels to be 10 years removed from it? No, I mean, you know, I, I think some people have compared the recent events in the state capitol to, you know, events in Act 10, I guess, I would say that I see them as materially different in that we had loss of life in the U.S. Capitol. You know, we did not have that during the Act 10 protests. We had images of uh, protesters and police really fighting, you know, police being struck by objects and so forth. You know, we didn't see that during Act 10 to, to that degree. I never witnessed any police officers draw their or heard about anyone draw their their service weapon, as you saw during the U.S. Capitol. Now, that isn't to say that there weren't very uh, tense moments, you know, during Act 10, um, and that I didn't personally experience tension, and I think I've described some of those, but I would describe it nonetheless as materially different from you know, the recent events we've seen. Thank you so much for making that point. I, I really appreciate it. Um, and, and we just both appreciate you taking the time to chat with us, uh, Jason, about Act 10. And hope you're doing well and enjoying your time at Wisconsin Policy Forum now. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Wedge Issues. Our theme music is Oh, Wisconsin by Loxley. Watch for the rest of our Act 10 series coming out over the next few weeks. This series was reported by Brianna Riley and Scott Gerard and produced by me, Jessica Poyan. To read more Act 10 coverage or to get in touch with us, go to captimes.com. This podcast has been brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colaguard. Once again, be sure to learn more at exactsciences.com.